Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Jason Belzer, founder for Athlete NIL, attorney representing coaches, joins us on 365 Sports with Craig and Paul, and I'm David Smoke. Jason, I just happened to see your tweet about it's transfer portal, it's wide open. It's one thing when you're being flirted with or you're being courted. You, Oh, man, I get that kind of money. Uh, your thoughts about the players, how many, in your opinion, might enter the transfer portal, move on somewhere else, and yet not fulfill their own commitment? Uh, we're going to have at least a couple of thousand kids in the transfer portal. It will likely be the most active transfer portal in the history of the NCAA. It will also be the largest amount of money that will be transacted. Uh, we believe that the number will be in the area of around $400 million dollars. Um, that will be issued via these collectives over the next year. Uh, and I am a big believer that we will be in revenue share in 2025. So this might be the most money ever given out through NIL, at least. Um, and so the next couple of weeks are going to be certainly a very busy time for collectives and coaching staffs as they make their way through this process. So you mentioned in your tweet about about adult uh actions have adult consequences and how much is that is is prevalent where you guys are not um you know maybe understanding that you have deliverables that you had to do and you've decided to leave texas a&m and go to usc well you still owe the aggie collective whatever you promised them yeah so it's interesting uh the reality is and you know to, to preface it for listeners our organization, Student Athlete NIL, runs more than 40 different collectives. So I can only speak to the schools that we work with, schools like Oklahoma and Rutgers and Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. Uh, when we sign a student athlete, 
as a business, we have expectations that that student athlete will uphold their end of the bargain. And that end of the bargain is not that they will continue to be a student athlete at the particular university, but we are pre-purchasing assets from them. Assets like social media posts, appearances, autographs. And so when a student athlete gets up and says, hey, I no longer wanna be at this university for whatever reason, that's their decision. They're free to do it, but we have an expectation that they will see through the end of the contract. And if they don't, then there's two options. Option number one, is that we don't have to pay them what their money is owed, right? Because they didn't finish their contract. Just like if you sign an agreement to work for a company and then you get up six months into it, they're not gonna pay you the other six months. Uh, and if they say, well, we want our money, well, we're gonna say, well, you have to follow through. And if you're transferring from Oklahoma to Texas, well, you're gonna have to show up at an Oklahoma Sooners football event, even though you're a Texas football player. How many student athletes are gonna to wanna to do the latter? Pretty much nobody. So you can't have any, your cake and eat it too. That being said, my assumption is that the majority of athletes that are entering the portal, they may have an offer somewhere else already, but at the other end of it, last year of all the student athletes that entered the portal, a good one third of them didn't end up anywhere, meaning they thought they were going to get in the portal and make some money somewhere else. And they ended up without a scholarship at any program. So there are some student athletes that are going to have a very rude awakening. And perhaps that's just a good life lesson for them. You mentioned the $400 million that's out there um, that you believe is going to be transacted this year. Um, Matt rule said last week between a million and 2 million for quarterback. Did he, un did he nail that or did he undershoot it? So there's about uh 10 to 15 schools maximum that are going to pay that type of money for a quarterback. I can tell you absolutely. Listen, we work with the university of Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel went into the portal today. I've had conversations with Dylan in the past and I've told him his market value is probably worth more than a million and a half. Uh, but it doesn't mean that every quarterback is going to get paid that amount of money. Yesterday, I posted data that we have collected from our schools that gives a uh, median look at how much student athletes are going to earn based on their rating. And uh, the median quarterback uh, on the FBS level, a top 25 quarterback is going to make about $350,000. Um, that being said, as of today, we're talking about the 23 season there's maybe 20 to 30 football players that are actually making more than a million dollars total in NIL. So they're not a lot of them. And most of those are quarterbacks. You mentioned revenue sharing as well coming uh, our way. And you said it as soon as 2025, what form does that take and how does that, how does that get done where the universities who um, it's like, taking their medicine on this and they really don't want to uh, agree to this and, and, and make it work. Uh, I think the universities are not going to have the choice to agree to it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a forced decision and it's either going to be forced upon them through legislation. As an example, Senator Cruz is trying to push through legislation that allows for revenue sharing and creates a safe Harbor position so that uh, student athletes don't have to be deemed employees. I am not confident that any legislation will get through. And so it's most likely that this will either be forced upon them through the courts, uh, which will have a decision by the end of next year on these subjects, 
or there will be some sort of preemptive move, uh, likely by the SEC conference. What I can tell you is that as an organization that works with several SEC schools, the schools have begun, and this is not anything that isn't out there. There's a reason why the biggest collectives in college sports are in the SEC. And it's not just because there's more money at a school like Alabama than there is at a school like Michigan. It is that the SEC is preparing themselves. They're weaning themselves off of that money that used to go to the athletics department and saying, hey, in a year or two, we're going to be at revenue share anyway. We're going to have to pay our football players at least $10 million. We might as well learn to do it today instead of being surprised next year or in two years when we have to do it formally. Uh, but for all the other schools, they're not prepared. There are many power five institutions that are operating at one, $2 million in NIL for their football teams. They will not survive this transition into a revenue share environment, unfortunately. Jason, how many of the players that are a part of the collectives that you run, the ones who do sign agreements with whatever school, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, or Troy, for example, in the Sun Belt or somebody else in the American, how many of them actually, in your opinion, understand it's not just they get money, but what they have to do in return? The, ma the majority have an understanding that there is some sort of requirement. Most of them believe that they are signing this contract because they are getting paid to play at that particular university. But it's not that's not the truth right the truth is that we have to be able to go out there and actually create value from this it's not my decision as a business owner what happens whether or not that kid plays a snap whether or not he performs well there is an expectation of return on value and we have again as i can only speak for us and our organization that runs these collectives we have an expectation that that value will be returned to us some collectives may not, right? There may be a collective at a school that says, we're simply a conduit to launder money to players. Mm -hmm. And we don't care whether or not they actually do anything for it. For us, it's a very different operation. And so it's you know a unique position that we have to be able to balance. I mean, it's no secret. I'll give you an example again. I'll use Dylan Gabriel. I think very highly of him, but we're running a big campaign at Oklahoma right now. And Dylan is the star of that campaign. Well, Today, he's no longer an Oklahoma football player. And so I have to be able to deal with the repercussions, the business repercussions of having his image posted on advertisements that no longer validate what I'm trying to sell. And so that is a reality, right? If you're going to move and transfer and you did an endorsement deal with the local business, that business is not going to be interested in working with you anymore. And they're going to feel like your contract was breached. Can you go back and, and, and go back to what you were saying about the SEC and sort of preparing behind the scenes? I'm sure, as you, you well know, Jason, there's been this longstanding fear, and it's really bubbled up here with all the realignment the last few years about the breakoff, right? The big, the super two, the power two, the breakoff. Kind of playing into what you said, that certainly feels like that's one of those types of issues that could further enhance or completely separate the haves from the have-nots. Is that how you see it? And would you lump in the Big Ten because of the, all the money that they're getting? Or, or do you feel or do you sense that they're preparing in much the same way? For example, those two kind of being on an island by themselves, doing things a different way, whereas the others don't or can't play that way necessarily. Yeah, so the clearly there's a larger delta in the SEC and the Big Ten as it relates to total athletic budget, total revenue via multimedia rights, 
and other initiatives, ticket revenue and other deals. Obviously, Michigan State generates a lot more money in ticket revenue than it does than Rutgers. But it's not just the SEC. I can't sit here and say to you that Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and Rutgers and Northwestern are going to be part of this new whatever college football looks like in the next couple of years, because they don't bring the same type of value that a lot of these other larger institutions do. And so the short answer is that, yes, part of it is the money, and these leagues are quietly preparing themselves, but it doesn't mean that each of these institutions are going to be part of that transition. And if they want to be part of that transition, I'm a Rutgers alum, I play football there. If Rutgers wants to be part of that, Rutgers is going to have to make some very difficult decisions about the number of programs that it has. Maybe the most guaranteed implication of what will happen when we move to revenue share is that we will see women's sports as an example, gutted, absolutely gutted across these institutions. Because if I have a hundred football player and basketball players that I need to pay now, likely as employees, that's a hundred women's scholarships I no longer need and no longer can afford to have. And that's just the reality. So with Title IX, that means also that some men's sports are going to gut it as well because you got to make those things balance, right? Not necessarily because what Title IX says an equal balance, but if a student athlete is deemed an employee, they're no longer a student athlete. They're an employee. So you no longer have to balance out 85 football scholarships with 85 women's scholarships in other sports. Jason, so there would, goes all your women's programs. I'm Go sorry, ahead. but would that then also all of a sudden, for a group that has more important things to deal with than college athletics, would that then not get people in Congress' eyes a little more focused because they'll get hammered if, in fact, women's sports just disappears? It's too late by then. I mean, it will be too late. If once it happens, how could any congressman or senator come in and say, well, you can't do this? What are they going to tell their state university come up with an extra $10 million? It's too late, right? What are they going to start appropriating state taxes to do it? Well, good luck, right? The point is, if they don't fix that solution now, they're going to have a problem, which is why Senator Cruz's legislation is really the only thing that likely can save women's sports, because what it does is it allows that safe harbor position that basically says that football and basketball players will not be considered employees. And so it allows some flexibility for the university from that perspective. But, you know, we all know what Congress is doing these days, and I'm not very uh, optimistic that they're going to be able to find a solution to this when there's a lot of other bigger problems they have to worry about. Yeah, like staying open. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, we didn't do this at the beginning, but we probably should here at the end, just for people who may be joining us like in the middle. What does uh, Athlete NIL as a group, um, what does your organization do that's that's maybe a little different than just being a solitary collective of of ex-schools fans that are that are sending money out to to players? Yeah, so I appreciate that. We are a what we refer to as an agency of record. We are now the largest deal maker in NIL. We have more than a thousand student athletes that are under retainer contract with us across more than 40 different institutions. So we are essentially going into institutions, starting collectives and putting entire rosters on contracts where those student athletes are working off that money by doing activations for us, whether those are social media posts or other things. And so if you go to Oklahoma, as an example, 
where probably some of your listeners are from every single football men's basketball and softball athlete at the university is under our payroll, uh, no different than any of our other institutions. Um, so we have a lens of cross multiple schools versus one independent collective that may be just hustling for their individual athletes. We are now distributing more money and doing more deals than any single entity out there other than the NCAA, put it that way. <laughs> All right, uh, Jason, good stuff. We appreciate it. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.